Psalm 139, verses 7 through 17. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as, is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. <clears throat> I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there are, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Good morning. Uh, I hope you haven't gotten tired of seeing me because you're going to see a lot of me today. <laughs> um, I just want to let you know, uh, because people have asked, as I have transitioned from my time here at First Pres as an employee to my time on Young Life, people have asked, hey, Orlando, how are you doing? And I want to let you know that I am doing wonderfully. Uh, things are just going real. This is a great season in my life. Uh, it is honestly, uh, in my 45 years of being, I feel like I'm in the best season I've ever been. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a great job. I have an amazing wife. I have two great sons um, and an amazing daughter. And really, I can just stand here and say, God has been good to me. As a matter of fact, one of the biggest blessings that I have um, in these days is that uh, it's just a testimony to his goodness uh, coming up next week, next week I will not be in town. I will actually be in Nevada, Missouri, because my daughter has spent two years at Cotty College, and she is graduating with her associates. And so we're going and picking her up and moving her back home. She's decided to continue her education uh, back here in Amarillo, Texas. So after two years... Uh, she will return home with her associate's degree to continue her education in, in town. And then, literally two days after she graduates, she turns 20. Like, how can a 25-year-old have a 20-year-old daughter? I'm not even sure how that works. It really, these milestones in her life have had me reminiscing a lot lately. Um, I remember the feeling of bringing home a baby that was totally dependent on her mother and I for everything. And let me tell you something. When you have the responsibility of keeping a real child alive 
for the very first time, your life changes. Like, like I had done the little egg thing, and I don't think I'd even done a great job. And now they give me a real baby, from egg to real baby. And I just remember, I remember her being born. I remember being there. Um, apparently, it didn't hurt me as, it mu- as much as it hurt her mom. I'm not sure. But I remember holding her for the first time. And I remember even giving her to... I remember all of those moments. I remember the first time that my wife asked me to bring my daughter to her. I walked up to that little bassinet and I was like... Like I didn't, I didn't know where all the hands went. And I just... I couldn't... And the nurse looks at me and kind of puts her palm to her forehead. And then just walks over and is like... Shoo! I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can you put her down and do that again? Because I didn't catch that. I remember them coming in that was already at a point where you stayed in the hospital 24 hours and then they sent you home and I remember the doctor coming in with a big smile on his face Dr. Charles Acock and looking at me and my wife he's like I've got good news we are ready to release you home and my reaction was I don't know if I'm ready to take her. I literally started crying. I had a breakdown. I don't know if I could take her home. I don't even know how to pick her up. And I had a breakdown. And the doctor looked at me and he said, I think we can arrange for you to stay 24 more hours. <laughs> we brought her home, and those first several nights were difficult. Um, what we did not know is, uh, and we would find out even a few weeks later more, was that Dina wasn't producing enough milk to feed her quite yet. And she would later be diagnosed with failure to thrive. Um, But those first nights, we didn't understand that. And so they were long nights because she was still hungry even after being fed. And she would cry and cry and cry. And after three nights of that, we couldn't handle it anymore. We picked up the phone and we called her mom, who was not scheduled to visit for another week or ten days. We said, we just can't do this. Like, this is beyond us. This is bigger than we are. And Anna, very wonderfully and kindly, got to Baton Rouge, Louisiana within the next day or two. At that moment, that moment we made that phone call, I knew, all I knew was we needed help because we couldn't handle it on our own. And I think we all find ourselves in situations where we need help because we just can't do it on our own. When we need help because the problems and circumstances of life that surround us are just bigger than we are. And we find a great example of that in John chapter 5, which is our New Testament passage. Uh, we'll read verses 1 through 9. You can find it on 1132 in your pew Bible. You can just take, take your finger in there, stick your finger in there, kind of hold that place. Because we'll be jumping in and out of that passage. But there's that story about a paralyzed man who encounters Jesus. About a paralyzed man who encounters Jesus and realizes his circumstances are way bigger than he is. John chapter 5, starting at verse 1, says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up into Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of individuals, blind, lame, 
and paralyzed. I want you to kind of picture what we're talking about in this verse. I want you to picture Jerusalem because Jerusalem is this walled, is this fortified city. And to get into the city, you have to go through different gates. And there were different gates around the city that had different purposes. And the sheep gate's purpose was specifically a gate so that animals could be brought through. Animals were brought through there. And during the feast and the time that, Jesus, that, that we're talking about here, the passage makes it very clear at the beginning that this is a feast time. They would bring 300,000 sheep right through the sheep gate. That sounds pretty amazing. Uh, it sounds amazing. I'd love to see it, but I'm not so sure I'd love to be there. Because one sheep smells sheepish. 300,000 sheep smell, I'm not even going to say sheepish. They, they smell really bad. Can you imagine the sounds around that gate? Can you imagine the smell of the animals? The smell of the animal poopage? Heated by the summer sun? It wasn't a place that regular people wanted to go. It wasn't a place that regular people wanted to hang out. No one wanted to hang out on this side of town. And so especially during feast times, guess what? That side of town, where the animals came through, that's where we want to send our lame and our sick and our blind and our paralyzed. That side of town is for the outcasts and for the forgotten. Because who wants to really see the sick during a party? And they'd sit there where no one else wanted to go. And they'd stew in their own misery. And hope against hope for something better. Maybe you're sitting here with us today and you're like, Orlando, you know what? That's exactly where I am today. I'm an outcast. I'm forgotten. I might not be sick or lame, but I don't feel like I have anything to offer anyone. I'm one of those who's just sitting by the pool. I want you to know that if you feel like that this morning, if you are overwhelmed by your circumstances, if you're overwhelmed by your problems, if you're overwhelmed by whatever, you are not alone. I love that the passage makes it very clear that in these, by this pool, lay a multitude, lots of people. You aren't in that situation. You aren't by yourself. And I know we all feel by ourselves very often. I know that we get in these moments when we're overwhelmed and we're thinking, you know what, in the grand scheme of things, I'm just a speck in the universe. As a matter of fact, you're not alone in that because even King David himself felt that way. King David himself in Psalm 8 verses 3 and 4 says, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, he says, I ask myself this question. What is man that you are mindful of him? 
and the Son of Man that you would visit him. He says, when I see all these amazing, wonderful things, when I look at the stars and the vastness of the universe, when I realize that I'm just a small speck in the middle of everything, I start to feel lonely and all by myself. I think, God, why would you even want to come and consider me and come and visit me? Why would you even know where I am? You're not alone in that feeling. And I know sometimes as Christians, we think, oh, we can't, we can't talk about that. We can't say that. I'm feeling that way, but there's no way that I could ever tell someone that in my sickness, in my situation, in my divorce, in my diagnosis, in my whatever, there's no way I could tell those around me how I'm really feeling. But the truth is you can. I know you feel like nobody cares. But you know what? I've sat there before, too. I've been just sitting by the pool, feeling like nobody cares, feeling lost and alone. Maybe you're a teenager here. I know. You look at me and you think, oh, he was like a teenager not too long ago. <laughs> I was a, I'm 45. I was a teenager a long time ago. But I remember being a teenager, sitting by that pool, lost and alone, feeling like I had nothing to offer and that no one cared. Can I be really honest? I still feel like that sometimes. Sometimes I do feel lost and alone. Like there's nothing I can even do to help myself. That's the setup of what's going on in this passage. And then something interesting happens. Your version might have this section as a footnote. And that footnote probably says something like, manuscripts insert in whole or in part, and then it has this following passage. I don't have the time to try to explain exactly what that means, but I do want to explore this section that might be just a footnote in your Bible because I find it super interesting. So there, there by the pool, uh, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. I know you're thinking, Orlando, that sounds like the craziest thing I've ever heard. It sounds like the craziest thing I've ever heard. They're by the pool and they're waiting for the pool to move because an angel comes down and stirs the water and the first one who jumps in is healed. It could be you have a bad hangnail, but you jump in first and boom, no more hangnail. You could have like a head cold, but if you're in the pool first, doesn't matter. You are healed of your head cold. You know who I feel sorry for? The blind standing by that pool. Because they're not going to see the water move. And they're not given an opportunity. And we sit here and think, oh my goodness, Orlando, that is crazy. 
That's the craziest thing we've heard. And it sounds like the act of desperate men and desperate women. And I can tell you it is the act of desperate men and desperate women. And it's easy to sit here on this side of the Bible and laugh. But the truth is sometimes we find ourselves in that same boat. We have a need. We have a circumstance. We have something that paralyzes us. And we begin to act in desperation. How many of us have ever found ourselves acting out of desperation? I know I have. Maybe what's paralyzing you is fear of what other people think of you. And that desire to fit in, that desire for people to like you, that desire is paralyzing you. Maybe you're paralyzed by the hurt of abuse. Or maybe it's just the, the, you're paralyzed by the desire to be the very best so people see value in you. And we get desperate and we find ourselves seated by pools of our own making. Just like these people, we begin to look for answers in all the wrong places. There's nothing in history or in the Bible that tells us of anyone who jumped into the pool and was healed immediately. All we know is that the people around the pool are desperate enough to believe that maybe this is the case. Maybe if I jump in. What are those pools that you're sitting by? Thinking maybe if this, maybe if I can just grab onto this one thing, maybe if I hold on to this one thing long enough, all my problems will finally go away. Maybe it's drugs. Or maybe it's sex. Maybe you find thrill in adultery and you think, this is the one thing I need. If I just had that one person, even though she's not my wife, even though he's not my husband. Maybe it's alcohol. You're paralyzed by fear. You're paralyzed by doubt. And you think maybe this one last drink can numb that pain that I have in my heart. Maybe this, this, one, last, uh, this, this one last visit to the bar is going to be the solution to my problems. Could be gambling. If I just play the lottery a hundred times, surely one of those tickets will make me a millionaire. And all of my problems will finally be solved. Maybe it's putting others down so you feel better about yourself. Maybe it's cutting or self-harm. Maybe you're trying to find answers in bitterness. Well, if I just stay bitter long enough. Maybe you're just sitting there going through the list of pools that you find yourself sitting beside. And you're beginning to realize that you're just sitting by a pool trying to fix something that you can't fix on your own. We look for answers in all the wrong places sometimes. You're probably like those in the story. You're sitting there and you're tired of sitting by the pool Because to be honest with you, it hasn't worked. I've tried this long enough. I've sat here long enough. And nothing changes, Rebecca. It doesn't work. 
I'm tired. I don't want to do those things. Because Orlando, none of those things are helping. None of those things are helping. And I know they're the acts of a desperate person, but I don't have any other answer, Orlando. I just think if I hold on to this a little tighter. You know what? None of that surprises God. God's not surprised by the fact that you're sitting by that same pool you've been sitting for for 27 years, for 38 years, for 50 long years. And I love this part of the story that we're just about to get into. And while no one else wants to go to that side of town, guess where we find Jesus? We find him on that side of town, visiting that particular pool. We don't even necessarily find his disciples there. If you actually look at the passage, it doesn't say anything about any of his disciples being there. And I'm thinking the disciples behaved with Jesus the way I behave with my wife when we go to Hobby Lobby. I'll wait right here. You go on in. You go on in. I'm, I'm just going to, I'll wait for you. I'll be here when you get back. No one wants to go, but Jesus shows up. I love that passage that Clint read. And there's this idea of where can I go to hide from your spirit? And it is that feeling often of when I do something wrong, I want to hide. But I want you to feel a little bit more than just that. It's not about me hiding. It's about God chasing. And even when I run and try to sit by the pool, guess who shows up? The creator of the universe has seen me sitting by that pool too long. And he knows I'm desperate to get better. The passage continues. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another one steps before me. Again, I, 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 I can read minds. I know exactly what you're thinking. You are thinking, that's the dumbest question ever. Do you want to get healed? That's not, that's not even a smart question. That's like asking your children, do you want a spanking? Like, we know what the answer is. I don't even have to ask the question. I know the answer. Jesus obviously knows the answer. That Jesus isn't asking the question because he doesn't know whether this man wants a better life or not. That's not why I believe that Jesus is asking the question. I really do believe that the reason that Jesus is asking the question is to give the man a chance to say exactly what he says. He says, I've tried it on my own long enough, and it doesn't work. Everything I've tried doesn't work, and I need somebody to help me. 
That's the insinuation when he says, I don't have anyone to throw me in the pool when it stirs. And while I try to move myself, someone jumps in ahead of me. I need somebody's help because this isn't going to happen on my own. I really do believe that Jesus sets up these opportunities for us to recognize on our own, God, I can't do this. I need your help. He sets up these opportunities. A service like today so that we come face to face with Jesus. Say, Jesus, I've tried and I can't shake it. I've tried and I can't shake this addiction. I just have to keep sitting by the pool hoping that somebody else can help me. Jesus, I'm tired and I don't have the answers. We get this opportunity actually quite regularly in our Reformed style of worship. One of the things that I especially love during the service is the prayers of confession. I like leading the prayers of confession, and I have a confession to make myself. Uh, we always read the corporate prayer of confession, and then we wait in silence as we individually confess our needs. And you know what I like doing? I like standing there in silence about 15 seconds longer than is awkward. <laughs> I like us to start feeling a little antsy about that silence, like, Wait, maybe there's maybe Orlando knows there's something else I should be confessing. I like to sit there just a little bit longer to make us uncomfortable. You guys, yeah, I think that's a really important moment. That moment when we tell God, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. You're the one who has the answers. You're the one, the only one who can meet my need. The passage continues. Jesus says to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once, the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Again, we wait by pools of our own making, wondering why things haven't changed. We're just sitting by the pool. And we seem to be unaware that the one who can change everything has come looking for us and is asking the question, do you want to get better? We're all stuck in this broken world. We're all stuck in this broken condition, this sinful condition. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because you sinned, you can't fix me. And because I've sinned, I can't fix you. But there is one who never sinned, who offers us the opportunity to get better, and that is Jesus Christ. 
What are some of those pools that you're sitting next to? Are you tired of sitting next to them? Jesus asked, do you want to get better? And he offers you what you can't even do on your own. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you orchestrate a day like today, a moment like this moment, so that we can recognize that we've been sitting by the wrong pool for too long and we can't help ourselves and on our own, nothing will ever change. Help us place our confidence in the only one who can change all things. In the name of Jesus, amen.